Good morning. It's good to see you here. Let me just say, if you're the last one seated, you get to open in prayer today. As you're making your way in, I hope that you had a bulletin and able to follow along this morning. Uh, let me just read before I share some announcements, our meditation. It says, it is the Lord our God who makes us willing to receive the supply of our need from His bounty. It is He who convinces us of sin, softens our hard hearts to regret our folly, ingratitude, aside unbelief, rebellion, and corruption. It is the Lord who gives us a hope that makes us not ashamed, a love that excites us to holy obedience, a joy in Him that is our strength, and our faith in His Son who loves us and died for us. And we'll be speaking for the next several weeks on just that. And the doctor, if you want an oration, I'm going to take a a break from preaching through the Scriptures. I hope you'll be praying for me. If you want to order Mark, start looking ahead. I'm going to be preaching through the Gospel of Mark as our next text together. And so we're going to take you through a Gospel together and the plan of salvation. But up until Easter, I would like to take the next several weeks as we're planning and preparing to speak to you about the doctrines of salvation. What does it really mean to anticipate our Easter services? We will have a Monday, Thursday service. We will have a sunrise service and we will have our regular service. But there will be no Sunday school. Let me just tell you that ahead of time. When it comes to Easter, we only do the morning services, and then we're done for the day. So there'll be nothing else on Easter Sunday so that you can plan ahead as teachers and prepare that. If you have a bulletin, let me uh, tell you to turn to the announcements. Well, I welcome you. If you're here visiting with us, we'd love for you to fill out the blue card that's there in the pew in front of you. It will give us an opportunity to have a record of your visit and at least to reach out and let you know that we're glad that you chose to worship with us. If there's anything we can do to minister to you or your family, we would love to do that. And we'd love to invite you to come back and be a part of our ministries that we have here at church. But we also have some announcements we want to share with you today. But um, several of you have already asked about joining uh, the session we'll be meeting, not this Tuesday, but the next. And if that is in your schedule and plan to do that, please let me know so I can come and meet with you ahead of time. Uh, I know several of you have asked, and we have some that I'm already meeting with. Uh, but if this is the time that you're ready for that, I'd love to meet with you ahead of time and go over the questions and if there's anything that you have to get with me. But if you have any questions, please see me this coming week or call the office and I'll be glad to get with you concerning the membership. Also, there are the announcements you'll see on the back page. If you just flip a little bit to your left, I guess it is going backward. We're in Hebrew when it comes to the bulletin and we go from right to left. But you'll see some of the uh, announcements that are there. The men's breakfast is up and coming this next Saturday and Wally uh, Bedminster, Lord willing, uh, will be our speaker. So if you men of you've come and heard the different testimonies uh, over the last several months, it's been wonderful to get to know people and to hear their story. And so men, we invite you to be a part of that as well. And then also next week is the least attended service in the nation when it comes to churches. If you did not know that, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Next week we spring forward on the clock. So I'm telling you a whole head of time. It is the least attended service of the year because you will wake up and realize you missed it. It's already happened and you'll have to catch it online. So please set your clocks ahead so that you'll be here and be a part of all of our services uh, next week as well. Um, but there is something else I want to announce is that new elders are coming on. We'll be shuffling up our shepherding groups. Plus, we're going to be doing something a little different this year, which is kind of neat. Uh, some of the elders who are rotating off, Mike Moriarty and Neil Allen, um, they have said they would love to still continue shepherding their groups. And so that's going to help us tremendously as we share the load. And so we'll take a few of each. But as the new elders are coming on, uh, Scott Van Zenten says it this way, it's the men's group. Every time we have a new Bible study, we have to go through the whole recruitment and shuffling and put everybody back in the draft and redo teams. We're not, we're not going to do that to everybody, but please know that nothing's permanent right now. Christy's helping me as we make changes in the list. Um, if you don't have your app on your phone or the church app that has everybody in the directory, there's actually in the directory, you can go to families and look at the bottom and see who your shepherd is. Now, we're just asking you to be patient for now because as some of these things are shuffling, some of you may have a new shepherd. And it's not because your shepherd didn't want you and it's not because we don't love you. It's because we're actually trying to share the load and spread things out. And so hopefully you'll be contacted 
by your new elders and even your existing elders as we go forward. So please pray for us. Our, our membership family ministry plan, we're actually praying about letting some of you be a part of that. So if, if you think that maybe you have been gifted to help minister to people and to pray for them and to keep up with them and you would like to help share that load, please let us know. Uh, we're going to slowly separate the eldership shepherding from our normal meetings all the time, and we've talked about this uh, before, and maybe just set up a time each month where the families can get together and just talk about as we shepherd our families. And so if you feel gifted, not as an elder, but would like to help the elders in their shepherding and taking care of people, please let us know. And we would love to use those gifts that God's given you to help us as we keep up with our membership as well. So pray for that, uh, please. And then uh, also the Share Your Faith workshops, uh, Christian Life and Witnessing. If you haven't heard, the Billy Graham Crusades are coming through our area. They'll be going all the way from Baltimore down through North Carolina. Uh, I was a continual witness training supervisor. I was a faith evangelist leader. I was been through all the evangelism. I loved that when I was younger. But now you have a chance. There are many churches in the next several months that will be doing a three-hour workshop on how to share your faith. And so I've got with Nick, and we're going to try to look up. I live a little farther south, so I have some in Waldorf and Upper Marlboro, and I don't know all the churches that are there, but there's some during the week, some on the weekends. But if you're interested in, in just seeing what it's like to be trained from an actual evangelistic perspective on how do you share your faith when someone comes to a crusade and says, man, I want to know Jesus, and you want to be able to counsel them. If you'd ever like to be a counselor at one of the crusades, this training is one of the first steps you have to have in order to be a counselor at those big revivals as they come through. So if you're interested at all, please let Nick or myself know, and we'll try to set up those times because they're all over the communities at different times that you can plug in and learn how to share your faith and get trained so that we can help uh, and prayerfully see many people come to know Jesus Christ as that crusade comes through our area. Uh, what a blessing that will be. So lots coming on and lots going forward, uh, but we just want you to be a part uh, of using your gifts and helping us in any way that you can. So, but let's take a moment uh, before uh, we, we go forward and pray later and do our confessions. Let's take a moment and just worship the Lord. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. A call to worship this morning is responsive. I'll read the light print if you'll join me in reading the bold print before we sing together hymn number 53. Let me call us to worship this morning. We will give thanks to you, O Lord, with our whole heart. We will tell of all your wonderful deeds. We will be glad and exult in you. We will sing praise to your name, O Most High. This morning, as we take a moment to go to the Lord in prayer, you can follow along in your bulletin if you wish. There are some prayer requests that we would like to share. And then I would like to lead us in prayer and have you join us in the Lord's Prayer at the end. You can find that inside the hymnal if you need that inside the cover of the hymnal. You'll see several of our prayer requests that you'll see listed there each week. Again, I remind you that if you want those to remain in there long term, you need to call Christy and let her know because after a certain amount of time, we take those out and we try to keep up the fresh ones coming in but we always want to continue to pray for those that you want public. Now, we don't publish them. Again, I will say this again. When you fill out the blue card and you want us to pray for you, we still do not put those in the bulletin unless Christy has made contact with you or you specifically say, yes, it's okay to put this in the bulletin. We want you to know that many times as you share prayer requests, we take those faithfully and sincerely, but we also do that privately unless you have asked for those to be made public. So that's why you don't see everything here. Uh, but as you read through the list, you will see that we have a, a lot of needs within our church family, those who have been sick, those who have gone through surgeries, those who are going through treatments. We have those that are uh, going through ailments and those who, as they get older and older, are relocating, going to senior facilities, going to help centers. Um, our church is, is, is growing uh, in wisdom. And so as we get older and older, uh, please don't forget them. Uh, I used to tell people for years and years as a pastor, many times when people get to the end of their lives, it's me and them. Sad to say, but it'll be me and them. Because people can serve for 40 years in the church, and then all their friends begin to die out, all their family begins to move away, 
and nobody in the church now knows them because everybody's new, and those people find themselves all alone for the last several years of their lives with just the pastor coming by to visit. And so I want to encourage you, I'm not blaming anybody, but as you look through the list and see people, feel free to to step out, call these people, remind them that you still are praying for them, that you haven't forgotten about them, uh, so that you can be a part of their life as well. Um, but as you see some of these others that are uh, in the prayer list, I know Phil and Karina are uh, working diligently to try to meet their requirements, to be able to reach their funding so that they can go. I know many of you have spoken with them, and maybe we can arrange a time where they can come and actually uh, present, and uh, I'll be speaking with the elders about that, that maybe they can speak some time and you can hear. Uh, I know our church personally has put them in the budget, and they're sponsoring them. Uh, but if you're one who wants to do that above and beyond, I'm sure they would appreciate any help as they're raising support, not just for one-time gifts, but also support for the next several years as you faithfully support them as they take. Uh, and I believe, is it Phil, four years? Is that what the original commitment is? About a four-year commitment? So not only do they need funds up front to do things, but when missionaries go, we try to at least commit to about a four-year term so that then they can either re-up or know how it's going. So... Uh, but pr pray for them especially as well. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, I'll lead us to the throne of grace, and then if you would join me in the Lord's prayer if you, again, need it inside your hymn book. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before the throne this morning, we realize uh, that your perfect plan will be accomplished, and that you've planned it out before the foundations of the world. Even for our own lives, you remind us that even before we were in the womb. Lord, the importance of realizing just how you create us and with what purpose and plan we are made, so wonderfully made. And yet, Lord, as we face trials in this life, many times we forget that you are the one in control, that you are the one that's working out your plan, that from the beginning you have been redeeming us since we have fallen. Since Adam and Eve, Lord, you have been constantly reclaiming us, renewing us, and recreating us to bear that image that you've had for us from the beginning. Lord, as we work through these obstacles and situations in life, let us not forget the others who need prayer, that we don't just get so concerned about ourselves and what, what's, what we want for our lives, but that we not forget to lift up others. And so, Lord, this morning we pray for our list of family here in the church, those that have been sick and hurting and those that have been through surgeries and treatments. Lord, we lift everyone up to you knowing this morning that you already know the need, you already know what it is that needs to be done. And Lord, even when we don't know what to say and don't know what to speak, your Holy Spirit is there. He is there to reveal the truth and communicate for us. Lord, all of this we bring before you this morning, knowing that in order for us to even worship, we need to be cleansed, we need to be forgiven. Lord, help us to set aside the world for just a moment, let us learn about salvation. Let us learn about the joy of the perfect plan you have for us so that we can leave this place today on fire for your kingdom. Lord, we know again that we have never done anything to deserve it. It's all because of your son, Jesus Christ, the grace that you've shown us that allows us to boldly come into your presence and pray together as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we continue this morning in worship, you will see right there in front of you, we'll do that while we remain seating before we ask you to stand again and sing the confession of faith. And so I invite you as we share together, we've been working through the larger catechism for those of you visiting with us of the Westminster Confession of Faith, and it will uh, probably take longer to get through that than it does to get through Hebrews when we were preaching. Uh, but we've enjoyed learning those truths. And so I'll read the question if you'll join me in sharing together the answer that is written. Are all true believers assured all the time that they are saved and are in the state of grace? 
Since the assurance of grace and salvation is not essential to faith, true believers may have to wait a long time for it. And once they have it, their assurance may be weakened and interrupted from being afflicted by all kinds of psychological problems, from sinning, from being tempted, and from losing the sense of God's favor. However, the Spirit of God keeps believers from complete despair by never allowing them to be without some inner sense of His presence and support. What is the communion in glory that members of the invisible church have with Christ? The communion in glory that members of the invisible church have with Christ occurs in this life as well as immediately after death and is finally completed at the resurrection and day of judgment. And we will be sharing all about that in weeks to come in the doctrines of salvation. Let's pray this confession of prayer, which is for you in the bulletin. Almighty God, we acknowledge from our hearts that we are unworthy of your grace and salvation. So little have we truly believed our Savior's conquest of sin and death on our behalf. How often we forget that our Lord Jesus now sits at your right hand where he rules over all things for the church, that there he intercedes for us, and that someday he will return from there to bring salvation to all who are waiting for him. How often we are weak or discouraged because we have forgotten that because Christ is in heaven, we who belong to him are as much seated with him there. How wrong of us that so great a savior and salvation should not produce in us greater love and firmer hope. Forgive us for such little faith Restore to us the joy of our great salvation and help us to walk worthy of such through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I really do love that prayer because it helps us to confront our unbelief that so often rests in our hearts. Oftentimes we think about, oh, I said the wrong thing or I didn't say the right thing. But the root of that comes from a doubt or an unbelief that Jesus really is working in our lives. And it's a, a way that we can confess regularly and say, Lord, I'm a Christian, but I really struggle. And there is still a lot of unbelief in my heart. And we can receive forgiveness for that like we just prayed for. So listen now to the assurance of pardon from Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So brothers and sisters, as you look to Jesus Christ... Your suffering, your difficulty does not mean he doesn't love you. He loves you deeply and he is with you and he is using these trials to show you his power and his grace. And if you're not a believer yet, I hope that this makes you want to be a Christian, that you would want these things to be true for you also, that no matter what you have done or left undone, that Jesus can be yours, and he calls to you to trust in him and receive this forgiveness and a new life in him. Now we have the opportunity to worship through giving, so I'm going to ask those who will be receiving this morning's offering to go ahead and come forward while I lead us in prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, you are our great God, our loving Father. Thank you for providing for all of our needs. Thank you for how you provide and even uh, cause us to wait patiently. But we trust you. We give to you in faith that you will use these tithes and offerings 
for your glory in this world. And we ask that you provide for everything. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that you brought your Bibles with you to follow along as we're going to journey through a, a path of salvation together in the next several weeks. And I know as we lead up to Easter, it's the question that many times brings controversy amongst religions as to why in the world do we have to have all this hoopla about Jesus? And then everybody has their own expression of who he is. And how he can be used, and even in the generation today, if you've been out sharing your faith at all, you will learn that many people no longer see Jesus as the answer to their need as much as one solution to many problems that they face. And if they can find the answer somewhere else, they will, and if they can't, well, they'll try Jesus to see if he has that answer. This morning, I'm here to tell you that the only answer to finding your way to spending eternity with the Father in heaven is in Scripture and through His Son, Jesus Christ. There is no other place to turn. There is no other help to find. This morning, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 16 for a moment, but I also want you to put your finger or your little ribbon in your Bible over on Ephesians chapter 2 because I want to use some text this morning, and I, I don't want to take you on a rabbit chase. I don't expect you to go to every verse that I'll give you. But when it comes to speaking about salvation, there's so many ways to learn about it and so many texts to use. I can't cover them all. And in the next several weeks, I'm going to look at the different aspects of salvation. This morning, I want to speak to you about the grace involved in salvation. In weeks to come, I want to speak to you about understanding election when it comes to salvation and justification when it comes to salvation. Salvation entails every bit of what is necessary for us to be with the Father, and He's provided it all. If you're here this morning and you've never called upon the name of Jesus Christ, you're missing out on the privileges and the blessings in this life that's planned for those who belong to him. Being saved is not just the future ramification that you have a place secured in the heavens. It's about understanding the covenantal promises that you experience today, about all the blessings that he has for you today. And so I'd bring you to a story 
that I want to use in Acts chapter 16, where Paul finds themselves imprisoned, him and Silas. You know the story. I'm bringing it up to the question that I want to ask you, because it's the main question we all have, whether it's the question you found in prison, whether it was the question you found on the hospital bed, whether it was the question that you found in the middle of a family fight, an argument, a disbursement of the family funds and inheritance. It doesn't matter where it comes from. You'll be amazed what happens when people find themselves in a crisis or when they hit the bottom. I've shared many a times the Imperials, one of my favorite older groups, if you like listening to older Christian music, was one of the best songs they sang. It touched my life tremendously back in the years of seminary when I heard it when the Imperials were singing, I was looking up from the bottom when it finally shined on me. You see, most of us find ourselves at the bottom until we realize we have to look up and see the grace of God, which changes everything. And so if you're going through turmoil or strife or situations in your life that are uncomfortable, sometimes it's because God wants to get you flat on your back. Because once you get flat on your back, it's not long until you flip over and become prostrate in prayer. You see, it's the immediate understanding His grace that brings us to the throne of mercy. Here in the story, you know it as well as I, let me read as we begin a journey of salvation this morning in Acts chapter 16. I'll pick up in verse 25, where they are already in prison, the guards there watching them, and here's what happens. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I wonder if they were actually just listening or if that meant they were singing underneath their breath all these things. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, thinking that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer asked for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of God to him together with all who were in his house. Man, we could go on and speak about a thousand things in the passage, but what I want to focus with you this morning is on this question, what must I do to be saved? He was in the middle of a trial in which his life was no longer worthy because everything he lived for was to protect the prisoners, to be the best guard, to be the one who watched over everything else. He was probably placed there because they trusted him. Others have broken out, I'm sure. And yet when he realized he had failed at everything that made him worthy, his life was no longer worth living. Now, I say this gently, but since the time of our pandemic, we have faced an unsurmountable amount of people who have considered suicide. It's amazing what took place in our society when people began to realize that their life would not be surrounded around everybody else who could keep them encouraged, keep them up, tell them how great they are, keep up with all their friends, and be seen in the eyes of others as someone who is important. When they lost the fact that everything around them had changed, then all of a sudden life was really not worth living anymore. And maybe you're here this morning and you've put all your eggs in that basket. What's made you so important is everybody else around you. And maybe for the first time in your life you realize that your salvation and your importance and your worth is not based at all about what other people think about you. Your worth of what God's created you to be is not determined by what your employer says about you. It's not determined about the success rate or how much your finances have changed or grown or how much help you've given to other people or about the ladder you've climbed in the corporate world. I've shared so many times the stories of so many who have climbed the corporate ladder all the way to the top. 
just to realize the ladder was on the wrong building and have to come all the way back down to begin the process of what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because no matter how high you climb, the Tower of Babel has made it clear you'll never make it on your own to heaven. God has dispersed those efforts, and you will find yourself in misery trying to do it on your own. So what must I do to be saved? Let me give you a quick rundown on where I'd like to take you. First of all, you're going to have to understand the plan of salvation in Scripture. If I give that to you this morning, let me give you a bunch of the words, because from Genesis 3.15 all the way to Revelation 20, if you wish to say 22, you could go to the last verse of the Bible, and you'll see the picture of grace. God's intentional effort of bestowing grace on his people from what is known as the proto-euangelitamai or euangelion all the way until the come Lord Jesus come, we have the grace of God bestowing his activity of redeeming his people and reclaiming them for himself. In scripture, you might ask yourself, what must I do to be saved? Well, you need to know the scriptures. Throughout all the scriptures, I could bore you with the details, but this story is unveiled with the Hebrew word Yassah and all of its derivatives that is used in the Old Testament over 300 times, which is translated throughout to be saved or delivered and the things that are necessary. Throughout all of the Old Testament, constantly reminded that there is this need to be saved and delivered. Isaiah makes it clear, if you've never read it in Isaiah chapter 43, God makes it clear that this being saved and delivered is not found in an earthly king. It wasn't found in a judge. It wasn't found in a, a local leader. It was found only in God. Listen to Isaiah 43 when he says this, I, God says, and only I am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there was no strange God even among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. I am God. Even from eternity I am he. There is no one who can rescue from my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? You see, the words that have gone together over 350 times point us to understanding the plan that is in Scripture, that there must be a Messiah, there must be one who saves, Yeshua, where we get the name Jesus today, Yeshua. In the New Testament is the same word that means salvation. It is the plan unfolded to Abraham from the beginning in Genesis that one day through David, his seed would come another seed that would one day rescue us all. My point, human efforts are futile if you think you're going to climb your way into the presence of the Father for eternity. You need to understand the plan of Scripture. It's not just in the Old Testament, the New Testament. You might know these words better. More people understand Greek. The verb sozo is the word for being saved or delivered or to being rescued. Over a hundred and some times in the short New Testament, that verb is used. The noun that is used for salvation, soteria, is used multiple times, probably 50-some, with all of its derivatives even more. The same translated from the old is now brought to the new that reminds us that the plan of God has not changed from the old to the new. Our need for salvation in the old is reminded to those of us in the new that what is different is now that that salvation is made possible through God's Son. Just as God was responsible for salvation in the Old Testament, He is responsible for salvation in the new. But more specifically, He's given that to His Son, Jesus Christ, which is where you must belong in union to be saved. There is no salvation outside Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 tells it this way, there is no other name by which you must be saved, no other name given under heaven by which you can come to know the Father. There is no other avenue that is given. Romans 10 makes it clear that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be what? Saved. It is only in Jesus Christ we must understand salvation and its plan in Scripture. Now, if I asked you just a moment to consider real quickly, if you were to meet someone today and they asked you, what does it mean to be saved, what would you tell them? 
Would you give them a story about your life? Would you give them a testimony of what you've experienced? Would you turn it into what we call lifestyle evangelism and talk about your life and what you've done and what Christ has done for you? Or are you ready to open up the scriptures that you've captured in your heart and held within your mind so that you can let them see clearly that true salvation isn't based on what God's done for you? It's what Jesus has revealed in Scripture he's done for others. Can you share the plan of salvation according to Scripture? Now, I'm not saying what God has done in your life doesn't count. I'm glad if you've had a personal relationship and you can reveal that to others, but do you have the Scriptures necessary? Because the Holy Spirit isn't going to speak through what's happening in your life only. The truth of it is the Holy Spirit bears witness with what? The Scriptures. It's when you share the Scripture, it's when you share the truth that the Holy Spirit brings conviction. It's when you share those truths that the Holy Spirit can bring that to life in a person's life. And then they begin to understand what's happened in your life. When we begin to look at all of this and all that Jesus has done for us, we begin to realize it's not just about the words of being saved. R.C. Sproul said it one time in a book when he wrote it called Saved from What? Because the actual people out there, when you say, hey, are you saved? They want to know what you're talking about. I say, what, earthquake? I mean, stars falling? I mean, what, do you, what, am I, what am I being saved from? Car wrecks? I mean, airplane crashes? I mean, what do you want to talk about? I've been saved from a lot in my life. But that's not what we're talking about. We use the lingo of sozo and soteria in terms that the world doesn't understand because their minds have not been touched and their hearts have not been changed. I've said this before. If you really want to talk to someone personally about the gospel, don't ask them if they're saved. Ask them if they're a follower of Jesus. And then see what response you get. Because now you're to the heart of the matter. What it really means to place your trust in someone other than yourself and those around you. So let me ask you the new question this morning. When we talk about salvation and understanding God's plan... Can you share the scriptures that speak about what it means to follow Jesus Christ? Where would you go? And where would you lead them? You see, the sum of it all is this. It's not just being saved from the negative things that happen. Judgment, if you wish, wrath, sin, death. It's also receiving the benefits. You see, negatively, we can say that we're delivered from all those things that are negative. But positively, we receive that which we would have never received otherwise. We now have a chance to receive what is known as the spiritual blessings, not only temporal in this life, but in eternity. We have a chance to have what is known as eternal life. And so write this down and keep it. What must I do to be saved? Number one, you must understand the plan in Scripture. Salvation is according to the plan of Scripture. Second of all, you must understand your position of need. The problem is when we talk about salvation so many times, we don't realize we ourselves are in that need. Salvation isn't just for everyone else. Salvation begins with you. Salvation begins with us. Salvation begins when you look in the mirror and see the reflection of what it means to be without hope, save God's sovereign mercy. Have you been there? Or have you seen yourself always as in the favor of God? What a blessing to be raised in a covenant home. Not me. I'm speaking for those of you who had Christian parents and grandparents and maybe even had a pastor or a father as a pastor or a grandfather or maybe was a deacon or an elder or maybe they were just avid in the church and they grew up or you grew up constantly hearing the importance of Jesus Christ and knowing what it was about and that he loved you from the day you've ever heard of it. And what a blessing. As the Roman asked Paul, well, what benefit is there of being a Jew? We could rephrase that. What benefit is there of being a child of Christian parents? Oh, so many. Because now you're surrounded around the truth of what you know you must claim. Because just because you're born into a Christian family doesn't automatically mean you're going to spend eternity with the Father in heaven. You must not only know the plan of Scripture, you must know your position of need. 
The Bible makes that clear. Presently, we can see all this. Every last person is in need of salvation. Romans 3.10, I'll give you the scriptures. You can look them up as you go along. Makes it very clear that there is no one who is righteous. No, not even one. It actually comes from a quote. You may not realize this, but go back into the Old Testament. Many times we think that the new is all this new stuff. But listen to Romans 3. It's quoting actually the writings of Psalm 14. Listen to what was written in the Old Testament. The fool has said in his heart that there what? There is no God. There, there is no God there. They are corrupt. They have committed detestable acts. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of mankind to see if there are any who understand and who seek God. And they have all turned aside. Together they are corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's where Romans 3.10 comes from. Paul obviously knew his scripture. Paul obviously knew the plan that God had laid out, and he realized even for himself that he himself is not good. Do you remember when Paul said, of all people, I should be the one that boasts? Do you remember what he said? I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, born, circumcised on the eighth day, a leader of the law of Pharisee. Folks, Paul was the one bragging, and then he says it clearly when he says this, but I laid all those things aside for the sake of what? Knowing Jesus Christ. You must understand your position of need. You must realize that as we're beginning to face moral corruption and estrangement from God, that's what the Bible is all about, this loss of eternal life, everlasting punishment. I could go on and on and on about the words that are used throughout Scripture to remind us of this. The story of Nicodemus in John 3.16. Do you remember what he said to them, unless you're born again? Do you remember the confusion with Nicodemus? Well, how in the world can I be born again? Folks, that's what the world said. You were saved from what? The world doesn't understand. It's in the story of Nicodemus that he's told that if you are not born again, you will be perishing. That's the word apolumi. It's the Greek word that means to perish or be destroyed. It's in the story of Luke 19 with Zacchaeus that Jesus came and he told them that he came to seek and to save the what? The lost. Do you see, without Jesus Christ, we are lost. We're dying. It's the same word, apolalos, from the same word, apolumi. It's the same words of being, in, if you wish, in this place of perishing or being destroyed. Do you realize your position? That without God's sovereign grace and mercy, your life will come to a what? An end. It will end, and I'm not talking about just physical death. It will come to an end, an end of everything that everybody else will experience in the presence of God, an end of nothing but the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when I talk about an end, I'm not talking about annihilation and coming to the over. I'm talking about a death and a resurrection to a second death of an eternal fire of hell, fire, and brimstone. And we could go on and on to the words that Scripture gives us. There is no actual ending to the end of being without the presence of God's grace at all. Because even if you have not accepted, recognized, acknowledged Jesus today, you still experience His grace. Every time you breathe in, every day that's been lengthened for another, every child that's born and makes it out, Every new birth, every joy is, one, is known as that general revelation and grace of God. But that's not enough. You must understand your position of need. Luke 15, the prodigal or the parable of the prodigal and the lost son. I won't go into the details, but what a reiteration. What a highlighted story of someone who is completely bankrupt when they're without their father without living in the blessings that come from being with someone who loves you and would give anything for you. So many of us may not understand that. John 3.18 uses the word kekritai from the word krino, which is to judge. Some of your translations actually use the word condemned. It's the word for judge. It's the Greek word that is used when John writes of the same story of Nicodemus, and he says, for those of you who believe you are not judged, but for those of you who don't believe, you're already what? Judged. The verdict is already out. 
I can already tell you what is going to happen to those of you who don't believe. I can already tell you what the end is going to look like for those of you who don't realize your position. I can already tell you above and beyond all that you've accumulated, all that you've accomplished, all the recognition that you have. I can tell you today in the magic of my crystal ball of the pastor's hand, I can tell you what your future looks like if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. And I can tell you that as I look at your future, it doesn't look very good because the plan in Scripture says you're going to be judged. The plan in Scripture says that you're going to be condemned. The plan of Scripture says that you're going to be without the Father for the rest of eternity. Do you understand your position Spiritually in this world, we are depraved. Ephesians, turn with me to chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians. It lays out the wonderful understanding that when we finally get to this point of understanding our position of need, we are spiritually depraved. Ephesians 1 and 2 of chapter 2 says, You were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, to the prince of the power of air and the spirit that is now working in the sons. Folks, how much worse can it get? You want me to give you the summary of a life without cross, without Christ and what he's done on the cross? It's all mangled up. It's a disaster. Isn't it amazing that we have people living in disasters, broken and shattered images of the Holy One, and they don't even realize it? The plan of salvation, alienated from God. Look down in verse 12 of the same chapter there in verse 2. When he tells us, as he goes on, I'll pick it up in verse 10, where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Verse 11, therefore remember that previously the Gentiles in the flesh, you were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, excluded from the people of Israel. Folks, we are alienated from God. We're guilty. We're condemned. We're dwelling under the curse of the law. Galatians reminds us in chapter 3. I'll take you there. You can go on your own now. But it says, for all of us who are under the law, we die by the law. Because you, if you're under the law, you die. If you fail at just one point of the law. So let me ask you this morning, have any of you kept the entire law? Not one of you. All right, elders, you're above reproach. Just one point? Isn't that amazing? If I asked you this morning, how many of you have told a half-truth just since you woke up? How many of you have told the truth just since you woke up? Ignored the truth since you woke up? Folks, it's amazing why we pray what we are told in our prayers that we have failed and we have fallen in thought, word, and deed. Lord, please cover whatever it may be because I realize as a sinner, I cannot live by the law, but on my own dent. I realize my position of need. I cannot do it on my own. I am an object of wrath. Verse 3, Ephesians 2, we too are all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest. I want you to put in here parentheses at the end of that word rest of every other person without Christ. That's who they're speaking of. That's where we are. We know the plan in Scripture, but do we know our position of need? We're enslaved by sin and death. Second Timothy makes it clear we're under the wires of the devil. First John 5, we're in the principalities of this world. We're still under saved. Romans chapter 6 makes it clear we are slaves to sin. Without Jesus Christ, do you realize your need this morning? Do you realize what the world would be like if we were known in 2 Corinthians 5 as ministers of reconciliation, if we could just understand our need, we cannot do it alone. Oh, John 8 makes it very clear. You can go back and read the chapter. John 8, 24 says that if you do not change, you will die in your condition. Do you realize that 
there's something worse than cancer. There's diseases that don't even match. There's disasters that can't even compare to the human need without Christ. It's the worst possible scenario you could experience. It only leads to a tragic future. But once you understand the position of your need, now we need to understand, if you wish, the provision given by God. Here it is laid out for you. I've taken you to Ephesians. I'll let you do it. I'll go through it quickly. But listen to the provision that God has provided in this plan. It begins in verse 1, that we are spiritually dead. You can write that down. You don't have to read it. You're right there. I'll let you look it up. The provision is because we are spiritually dead. Second of all, verse 3 reminds us that we are darkened by sin and any spiritual truth. See, when we realize our need, we realize that we are dead and we have no spiritual truth. Our minds do not comprehend it, doesn't know it, we're not aware of it. Verse 16, jump down into that passage, our wills are at enmity with God. We don't even want to please God. We don't even desire to be a part of His life. You know how frustrating it is to witness to someone who doesn't even care about wanting to do what's right? You know what it's like when people have reached the point of apathy or being pathetic or not caring? It's very hard to instruct those people. It's very hard to minister to those people. And yet that's who we are. That's who we are with God. And yet God demonstrates his love for us while we were yet what? Sinners. You see, as this uh, provision by God is laid out, not only that, but we have no inclination or even the ability to please God. That's what it means to be dead in sin. Folks, I've heard the story a thousand times. You're out there drowning in the water and someone needs to throw you a lifesaver and it's up to you to grab it. Folks, that is so far from the truth. You are not floating at the top. You're not gasping for air. You're not treading water. You're not keeping your head above water like the little bobber does. You're not surviving on your own, waiting for help to come and save you. That's not the true picture. The true picture in Ephesians says that you are where in the ocean? You're at the bottom. You've already sunk. You're already done. You're dead. You're fish bait, if you wish. You're shark food. You're octopus. You're those angled light fish that go down to see the depths of the oceans. They're the ones feeding upon you. Your life is over and done, and it's no lifesaver that's floating at the top that's going to help you. You know what's going to help you? Is the one who dives down to the bottom of the ocean grabs your body off the bottom and carries you up to the top, pulls you to that boat, puts you on top, begins to beat on your chest, and opens up your heart and breathes new life into you, and you sit up and say, dude, I'd love to please you at this point in time. That's what new life is. You did nothing. You were dead in your sin. Salvation must come from a sovereign God. That's the provision that we have this morning. We understand the plan in Scripture. We understand our position of need. We see how it's provided for us. The final step just simply comes to understanding that you must place your trust in Him. Knowing the plan in Scripture and knowing your position of need and knowing how he's provided salvation does not save you. You must place your trust in him. Oh, as the plan is revealed, God's the one from all eternity who predestined and planned a wonderful way to bring you in. Jesus died on the cross to secure that plan, to be the sacrifice, to make it worthy and acceptable because you couldn't do that. And the Holy Spirit now brings that conviction and calls you and draws you in and reveals to you just what Jesus has done for you. And when you put it all together, you realize God from Genesis 3.15 to Revelation 22 has had a plan from the beginning to bring you back to him. And maybe this morning for the very first time, I've never placed my trust 
in him. I've trusted in the church. I've trusted in my friends. I've trusted in my spouse. I've trusted in my career. I've even trusted in my pastor. And every one of those will at some point let you down. Every one of those. If you've yet to place your trust in him, you don't understand salvation. And so now we're finally told how to do that. How to be saved by this grace that is past, present, and future. Past because we have been saved. Present because we are being saved. And future because one day we what? We'll be saved. How do I do that, pastor? As the jailer cried out, what must I do to be saved? John 20 says this way, you must believe the gospel. You must believe the gospel. Acts chapter 2, Revelation 3 of the story to the churches in Asia all make it clear, you must repent of your sin. Not only must you believe the truth that God has given you, you must change from the life you're living and claim God's help to go forward in a different way. Repentance, metanoia, I've given it to you before. It's the word that means to change your mind to agree with God, metanoia. You've got to change your mind to agree with what God says is right. And finally, as we said in Romans 10, 2 Timothy 1, you must trust and commit to following Jesus. My life doesn't feel worth living. What must I do to be saved? You must believe. You must repent. And you must trust in Jesus Christ. And then Philippians, Paul writes, simply says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because he who began a good work in you will what? Will complete it until the very end. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we prepare our hearts to commune. Help us to know that we're communing because of you. We is willing to earn it, deserve it, to be at the banquet table one day is what we're hoping for today as we share, that as we commune together here, the presence of your Son, Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, one day we long to commune around that banquet table in person. Father, thank you for forgiving us of our lives, for saving us, and equipping us to serve you the rest of our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take a moment to do the Lord's Supper, and I'm going to invite if our elders that we had talked to earlier would come forward so that we could do that. If you want to turn in your hymn book to hymn 308 in just a moment, we're going to sing together. You might know it. You may not need it as we pass the elements. But as we begin, let me begin by saying what we're about to share with you is the Lord's Supper. If you're here visiting with us and you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, you've trusted in him. You're a member of a church in good standing. You've been baptized. You follow Jesus Christ. You understand the disciplines of grace and what is necessary in a church. We invite you to take with us. If those terms sound unfamiliar to you and you've never made a profession of faith or you have children here with us that have not made a profession of faith, we ask that you let the plate pass. As we share the scriptures and go together, we call that fencing the table. We believe that the table is only for those who've already accepted Jesus Christ and placed their trust in him so that we can commune together with him by faith. And so this morning as we do that, I want to begin by asking two young ladies if they would stand where they are. We have Abby Van Amber, if she would please right here stand for just a moment. Can you stand up right there, Abby? Just stand right there. And Aaliyah Strait, she's over here. Aaliyah, would you please stand? These are the two young ladies that will be sharing their first Lord's Supper with us. They have come, shared their faith with the session, 
and said they believe in Jesus Christ and want to take the Lord's Supper. So let's give them a hand this morning. You may be seated. What a blessing to see God working even in those children of covenant homes that they too come to a point of saying, yes, I know Jesus loves me and I love him. So let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, as we begin to share together and commune, we welcome your work that you're continually still saving people and drawing them to yourself. We thank you for Abby and Aaliyah. Lord, we've entrusted them to you and we see those promises being fulfilled. We trust you for what you're going to do the rest of their lives. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we're gonna begin to pass out the bread and while we're passing it, I'm going to ask that if you can, we're gonna sing in just a moment the first two stanzas of hymn number 308, Jesus Paid It All. You might know it already by heart, but while they're passing that out, let's take just a moment and we're gonna begin to sing together hymn number 308, the first two stanzas as our music team leads us. Let me read this together as they're finishing deliver that in from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take a moment and just pray of what it is that the Lord has actually done for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. And in the weeks to come, we will understand what it means to be saved. Lord, I trust we are. I trust your Holy Spirit's work. I trust that as we commune, you will reveal yourself to us in the ways we need to truly find assurance of salvation. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It was there around the table that he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. A seat. In the same way as we passed out the bread, I'll ask that you please take one of these and hold it until we can all take together. And as they begin to pass this out, let me read first before we sing something as they get. Go ahead, guys. As we read from the Hebrews, the same thing, that it's not the sacrifice of the animal that cleanses us, it's the true sacrifice of the blood of Christ, that without his cleansing, there would be no remission of sin. And so we find when Paul writes for the sufficiency of the same thing, he says this, in the same way, he also took the cup after the supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. A person must examine himself and in so doing to eat 
of the bread and drink of the cup. Let's sing together the following two verses as we prepare to share the cup of Jesus paid it all. pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we know that it's through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and only His blood shed for us that we not only find the cleansing of our sin, the remission of our guilt, but the cleansing of our conscience, the ability to know that we stand right with you, that we have been justified. We give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. After he broke the bread, he said, this is my blood, the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Fathers, we prepare our hearts to not only leave this place, but as we've communed with you, help us to commune with one another in the body of Christ, that we might go and make the disciples as you've commanded. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd receive the benediction, Paul simply said, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.